If you have been in places, I have been sleeping on the floor, literally in Africa. Now, the one thing is I was a little bit scared, but kind of some kind of insects are crawling into my ear. That was my belief at that time. But at the same time, I never saw such a beautiful sky with stars filled from one end to the other. Welcome to a new episode of Most Memorable Journeys. I have a fascinating guest today. And uh, when I was going through her bio and I was stalking her a little bit on social media and on the internet, the more I read, the more I got fascinated because she has done some amazing stuff. And I want to talk to her a little bit about this. She is the CEO of Peace Building and Partners, and she is doing humanitarian crisis management. And she has been to places that most of us never even think of going to. I read Afghanistan, Pakistan, Syria, Ghana, the Solomon Islands. She's multilingual. She is very, very well educated. She has won several awards and she has been nominated for more awards. I am sure that she deserves every single one of those awards. And I am just so delighted that you are making time to be my guest. Erika Vikro, I am so happy to speak to you today. I'm so pleased to be with you, Elizabeth. Nice to see you. Nice to see you too. And uh, let's talk about most memorable journeys because this is what my podcast is called. And I am sure that you have a lot of memories that make you smile and that also make you sad. How did you get into this? I mean, you're a doctor, you're a medical doctor, you started medicine. Wouldn't it have been easier, you know, for a woman, like I'm teasing you now, for a woman to just sit in Austria and have a nice little office and see people? <laughs> well, you know. I, I think we are, we are laughing both now. <laughs> well, first of all, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm really delighted to be on your um, on your podcast. Um, it's such a beautiful way on how you get engaged uh, different personalities and how you get everybody on board and how you also make this a beautiful, fun journey. So I'm really honored to invite you on my journey. How did I get into this uh, travel kind of getting all over the place? I think it was at some point, one patient who really is in my mind at the ICU. So I've been working in healthcare for now 30 years. And of course, you know, I started out in Austria, but th this patient actually made me really think of whether what I'm doing is um, making me happy and satisfied. The guy had an, a heart attack, a very serious one. And he grabbed my hand and said, do you, doctor, do you like what you do? And I think what was really striking me was he just didn't keep quiet and he needed to say what he needed to say before he passed away. He was saying, please, I, my whole life wasted because I did not do what I wanted to do, but I tried to please somebody else. And that day kind of really shocked my, my, my whole life saying, am I happy here? Well, yeah, I love the, the way what I was doing. But I saw its very limited impact. And I think that brought me on the journey of really 
saying, let's go international, you know, let's do some more work out there. And I love to travel. For me, traveling is learning. It's exploring. It's, you know, getting to know something different. It's really getting into the unknown and see how things work out. That doesn't mean you don't plan and you don't kind of uh, take good care of what you need to do in terms of going safe uh, through a safe journey. However, this being open-minded and really letting things flow, I think I learned the most because I was very much, you know, everything needs to be controlled. When you come from the ICU, you have to very be cautious um, about the measures of your patients. You have to be very cautious of what you're doing. Everything needs to be documented very thoroughly. And that's just fine uh, for, for that setting. But in life, as you said rightly, things do happen. And I think the the way I learned was through all the experiences I had, and those are many pleasant, and some of them were more learning experiences, uh, which were maybe not so pleasant, but they had they reached by giving me the lesson I needed to learn at that time uh, and to grow. Growing happens in when you go into the in, into the unknown, when you expand your comfort zone. And I think I'm so blessed because I had so many opportunities to grow and I continue to grow. And of course, meeting people like you who are such wonderful beings, you know, and, and making a great example is just really something outstanding. So thank you very much again. Well, it's a pleasure talking to you. And I am just want to come back to the man in the ICU who asked you this very, very important question, because there is a book, I keep forgetting what it's called, but it's this book about uh, people who uh, look after people who are dying and like the five things that people regret most on their deathbed. And one of them is the things that they didn't do. We don't regret the things we did because the things we did, we process. We, we, we sometimes, as you say, we learn and we grow and we enjoy but the problem is the things that we didn't do. And I am sure the man who spoke to you had a lot of things left that he didn't do and that he would have wanted to do. I, I'm sure about that. And life is a continuous learning process. That is so true. So where did you go first? What was the first mission or what was the first country that had a, a huge impact on you? We start out with a big one. <laughs> Let's start. <It> was, <laughs> so I think the first one for pleasure, I went to Greece. That was my my first kind of journey, but that was really Alicia when I was 16 because it was my first kind of going on the plane. But for work, uh, I went to the US at that time, become part of the uh, Boston University School of Public Health. So there was an admission. And for me, of course, going there, being an alien was really a big step forward because at the time when 9-11 happened and 9-11 for our, all of us had a big impact because, you know, being an alien in the U.S. and I studied in Boston. So that was one of the planes where 9-11 where, where, um, happened. So one of the plane actually took off in, in Boston. and. Really, it had a big impact on all of us uh, in the sense that I was already in this crisis management uh, public health uh, program. And for us, of course, I really appreciate the support we received from the dean there. He was saying all the international students are under his protection. 
we had very close ties with Harvard University and there were some harassments going on from population who could see that uh, the students were coming from all over the world. You know, they were looking different than the usual Americans, including myself. I have dark hair, I have light, uh, light uh, eyes. So that's kind of, hmm, you don't really fit here. So we all kept kind of low profile, but at the same time, I was tasked within the program to review uh, crisis management uh, plans. And suddenly your name pops up on the computer saying the Pentagon is watching you. I'm like, holy cow, what's going on? You know, (laughs) of course. And then, you know, like you see in the movies, those black vans following you for a reason, because yes, you are a suspect. Anybody is a suspect who is doing something in this regard, but you get used to it. And, uh, you know, your phone being tapped and all these kind of stuff. So doesn't mean that I actually agree with that. Uh, but I think I learned so much because at the same time, we were a small group of uh, students there. We put ourselves together and we said, we're going to be tr- uh, training for a marathon and also training for a triathlon to cope with the stress we had through the studies, but also through the situation itself. And that made us stronger because running a marathon was incredible in Chicago. Afterwards, I felt like I'm hundred years old, but you know, it was worth it. (laughs) Doing this, uh, the work together really brought us together as an international community and really knowing we want to proceed in public health because sometimes you start out doing something and then you figure out, "Mm, okay, nice, I have done it, but maybe it's not really my field. But the more I went into the, the public health arena, the more I knew this is what I wanted to do. And then I went from Boston to Zambia, where I was asked to actually help the National Malaria Control Center to identify the reasons why severe malaria has become so badly and why the whole um, chloroquine uh, resistance has increased. And I found out incredibly hospital people on one hand, you know, really those who don't have much, but they even this little they have, they share with you. And at the same time, also the issue with poverty, poverty really creates a big issue in terms of if you don't have enough food, you will share with your loved ones. If you don't have enough money for the medication, you will share with your loved ones, right? So it's really a cycle. And the people are saying, how can we afford those drugs if we don't even have enough food on the table? So the resistance increased because the family members were sharing the drugs, like one course for one person was suddenly needed to fit for a whole family. That doesn't work. You know, all these kind of interventions and really bringing the different stakeholders on one table and sit together and discuss what the problems were and how to best fix it, engaging the community. That to me seemed then really the right approach rather than imposing something which might work on paper, but in reality, it just doesn't have the impact you are anticipating. So I learned so much from these people. And another thing was I went to Cairo and I was requested to go to the slums and just have a look from outside. Uh, So as an outsider, go in there and see what other health prevention and uh, improvement possibilities would be there. And the person in charge for the slum, like the elderly, I usually get permission from the one who is in charge of the whole area. 
she looked like 75 or even old. I'm sure she wasn't that old, but the lady was saying, you are my guest. And she was, you know, living in the cartoon, like really nothing than this kind of uh, um, paper roof, whatever you call it. And she managed to get me a cup of chai, tea and a cookie. And I felt so embarrassed because, you know, who am I? I'm coming in uh, being asked to kind of look and see how we can actually make this this place a better place with the support of the, the locals. And she's like, you are my guest. The hospitality for us is number one. And we managed then to, you know, kind of get her something. But being respectful, taking this on, and at the same time honoring what you're being provided and also making sure that people are not feeling offended uh, and you yourself behave in a proper way. That's also something I learned through traveling. You know, how do you uh, amend to cultures? How do you respect culture without losing your self-identity, but still being open to learn how things are do- being done differently? That was incredible. I'm, I'm, I'm so much um, appreciating those memories because they made me become more open-minded and seeing that there are so many different approaches uh, which can be used in order to get to, to where you want to go. Wow. So one thing that I picked out is 9-11 because at that moment, more or less every foreigner was an enemy. That, that must have been quite a challenging time to go through. That's definitely something to remember. And I love the way you are saying it, that you all got together and decided to go through this together. And this is one thing that we know, even though we work on our own, we need other people around us. We need people, we need a community. We all need a tribe that we can go to and that supports us. We need cheerleaders. I think that's a very important uh, one thing. And the other thing out of this uh, conversation is other cultures and poverty. When I listen to people often around me and on social media and wherever I am, we complain on a very, very first world level, don't we? I mean, the stuff that I sometimes hear or read, it just makes me laugh because those people have nothing. Their only mission is to survive, to feed their children and to feed themselves. And, uh, you know, like you say, medicine, well, that's the biggest luxury they can have. Question from before, did you ever feel wherever you went, did you ever feel scared? Did you ever feel unsafe? What's your experience so far? Um, that's a great question. I think I also would like to refer to what you just said in the, in the sense of we are complaining at the very high level. At some point I was doing the same. And that's why when I said, okay, I need to kind of get out of my little box and see what's out there in order to uh, appreciate even more so. So every time I was traveling, I, on one hand, appreciate very much what I have in terms of infrastructure, you know, what we experience, whether it's Austria, Switzerland, or any other place in Europe, which is quite quite high developed in, in the sense of infrastructure. And we are so used to switch on the light and have electricity or we drinking water, uh, we, we flush it down the toilet, which I think is a huge waste. You, you, you open the pipe and everything is functioning, uh, at, at least uh, to a certain uh, degree, which is not the case when you go somewhere else. So every time I was traveling, I actually had a cultural shock. And this level of complaints, I'm actually very sad. Why? 
You can only appreciate if you see something different, if you have been in places. I have been living, uh, sleeping on the floor, literally in Africa. Now, the one thing is I was a little bit scared, but kind of some kind of insects are crawling into my ear. That was my belief at that time. But at the same time, I never saw such a beautiful sky with stars filled from one end to the other anywhere else. You know, and I'm watching the skies very much. And you can see on my pictures I'm taking, there's all the sky pictures involved. So because for me, this is the abundance we have when, when I look at it. When it comes to scary places, well, I've gone to places usually people don't go. Like, for instance, I was in Afghanistan. I was in Pakistan, several places in, in Syria, Turkey, you know, like all over the, the, the places. There was... Some places I didn't feel so much comfortable, I have to say, because the situation was quite tense. For instance, in 2007 in Karachi, when there was the killing going on, um, ongoing outside, we had to kind of uh, stay in the hotel for some time. However, all the people I met, they immediately, they look you in the eyes and they immediately know what you're here for, you know. I think I'm pretty straightforward and I say, look, this is what I'm here for. I'm here to support you. You can take it on or you can leave it. Either way is fine for me because I don't want to waste your time and I don't want to waste my time. Time is very precious. We have one life. And I think usually people kind of swallow it like, hmm? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> uh, but I learned um, through that to really kind of put your cards on the table and say, look, this is what I'm here for is the honest and the best approach, because then there will be no wrong expectations. There will be no kind of imaginations or, you know, whatever it is, what people kind of think. And there will be a clear language spoken of what's available, what's needed, and how do we match those two? And my, maybe sometimes it doesn't match. So Never, ever. I went to a place where I felt unsafe because I knew people knew I'm here. They knew what my intention were. And also when I'm going somewhere, I'm like, either I'm a tourist or I'm here for, for professional reasons. But it's clear what I'm here for. And then sometimes you meet in the middle. Sometimes you meet a little bit further, whatever it is. I think being honest and clear in communication is the first thing to build trust. And it's basically all about trust and relationships. Anytime, anywhere I was going, there were always people saying, you don't worry, I take good care of you, you know, in terms of safety. Of course, I need to watch myself as well. And I need to make sure that I'm behaving in the right way and uh, not giving any wrong messages and certainly not making promises I cannot keep. This is my like first principle. But overall, there was no place I felt like I would be threatened, whether in Afghanistan. And I've seen so many beautiful places and they are really having rough conditions in terms of uh, landscape and, you know, the history and all kinds of things. So likewise, Pakistan has its own challenges. Um, Syria, certainly, you know, some of the, the crises which are ongoing and the, the COVID pandemic has kind of covered up whatever is already uh, going on in some of the other places. Uh, we are so busy right now with our own uh, leaking our own wounds and trying to fix 
how shall I say, insufficient systems <laughs> with the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. That's kind of interesting for me to watch because it just doesn't make sense uh, anyway. But the point is, I think we can make a big difference by just really looking at our values, you know, what's really important. And I think COVID really for me is a blessing in disguise because, and I've been, I'm involved in the management. So for me, it really pinpoints to the systems which are not working anymore in the way we need it to work in order to reach, you know, and move forward the 21st century technology we have already in order to really uh, keep the values of humanity, which we need to reconsider and maybe also review, given that artificial intelligence is now really fastly progressing. There's so many challenges ahead of us, and we still kind of stuck to an um, education system, which is like, oh, don't cheat. You know, when you collaborate, you cheat. This is wrong. We need to put our brilliant brains together in order to really find solutions together. And that's not just one generation, it's intergenerational. The young people are going to be our future. You know, the children and the generations yet to come are going to be our future. So they need to be involved because we are supposed to leave this place better than we found it. Right now, that's not the case, I have to say. Yeah, absolutely not. And what you were just saying is so beautiful because I've been to Afghanistan and Pakistan, but many years ago, it was, um, I think, 89 or 90. As a tour guide, we had a trekking department and I did a North Pakistan, Afghanistan tour. I know how beautiful it is and how hard the conditions are. But of course, you went on a completely different mission, on a co- also a completely different course. But what I want to sort of discuss with you here is one thing that I have learned in my life. No matter where I go, how far I go, who I speak to, we are all the same. Aren't we all the same? We have fears. We want to be happy. We want to be safe. And um, I think one thing that we have to get rid of, especially as uh, first world citizens, is this, we're arrogant very often. We think that these people are just because they have a different culture, because they um, are, are poor, we think that they are stupid. And I think that's a horrible, horrible thing to think. What do you think? Uh, Thank you so much for bringing this up. Actually, I think the disease we have nowadays is civilization. And what I mean by that is actually when you listen and see how those very old kind of cultures and people like the indigenous people are living together and how they are synergizing with nature, they are really following the, the seasonal path, which we completely lost. And at the end of the day, it's really being synchronized with nature, being one, because we impact our own ground. If we destroy our own ground, we actually destroy ourselves. And I fully agree with you. These people have this wisdom, which maybe we have forgotten uh, somehow, or maybe we have forgotten to listen. And this is something, I'm sorry, this is Siri. I don't know why it's always- That's okay. Let's let's include Siri in the conversation. Maybe she has something to say. What what I, what I learned the most is, for instance, just to give you an example, I was in the Solomon Islands, you know, and we had the task to really reach out to um, very remote uh, communities. 
And that meant that you are walking eight to 10 hours per day, hills up and down. It's, you know, Solomon Islands are more than 3,000 islands and roughly like 100 islands are inhabited. And this is a coming and a going. And people are, of course, moving from one island to another to make their living and somehow survive. So they are really deeply embedded into nature and they are uh, having their own ways of uh, surviving. So we were going, and this was a very old woman, I would say, um, for, for that particular area. It's like mid-50s or so, a midwife, uh, a healer. And she also has a function as a tour guide. So I was going with her and a couple of other people. We were a small group. And I don't know why, but I was carrying the vaccine carrier on my wrist, you know, just kind of being lazy. Anyway, it, it rained, I slipped, and of course, I got the locodupigo fracture, you know, really painful, anything. I was like, holy, I don't need this now. I'm so far away from a, from a, a, a hospital, no x-ray, nothing. This lady, she straightened my arm, you know. Really, she put some leaves on it. And the thing is, I had no pain anymore. She also made sure that, I'm, you know, it's, it's going to be immobilized and stuff like that. But when we came back two days later to the hospital and to get a, an x-ray done, you couldn't even see a fracture anymore. But there was a fracture. So I'm like, wow, you know, how did you do that? And she told me, she said, there is so much more out there than the eye can see. And that's it. We just need to be open-minded. We are so occupied with, you know, all kinds of things. And particularly, like you said, worries. At the end of the day, we are all one. It's humans who have some aspirations. What are we craving for? We crave for to be heard, to be seen, to belong. And we want to be acknowledged in the sense of that we are good enough, Right. So this is like the basic needs. Now, some people are always struggling to survive, meaning they want to make sure that their family has enough to eat, but they can somehow afford some kind of education. And they want to make sure that their children have it better than they themselves, isn't it? So um, go ahead. Well, the thing sometimes is what's better, you know, this is the, the big question is going to university and Getting into the rat race of um, of Western uh, economy, is it better? Excellent question. From my perspective, you know, I have gone so many times, I have so many degrees, I've gone so many times to university. And frankly speaking, where I really learned the life skills I needed was in life and also for personal development. And the personal development started like 2000. 15, 16, but before it was basically, and maybe a little bit earlier with some, you know, small, small, uh, soft skill courses, but basically what, whatever you learn at the university is not really preparing you for life. Who is actually telling you, how do you earn money? How do you maintain, you know, how do you become wealthy over time? How do you run a meeting? How do you be a leader? How do you manage your own life? This is all what's so much needed, but it's not there. How do you go through stressful times? None of them is really being taught unless you are already damaged because you have gone through, you know, certain um, certain experiences which kind of give you scars. The scars make people beautiful and unique, 
However, I think if we would actually prepare our communities in a different way, uh, I'm sure there would be less crime. I've seen indigenous people and and, uh, cultures where there is no crime because whenever there is a wrongdoing, people actually get, you know, really hug the person and say, what made you do this? And the forgiveness rather than making death sentences, you know, because at the end of the day, what you do to my, what I do to myself, I do to you and others and vice versa. And what I also don't do to myself will have an effect like the butterfly wings can cause a tornado somewhere else. So it's all interconnected. I fully agree with you. So true. So true. And, you know, what we do to others, we do to ourselves. I mean, this is this is something that uh, we need to understand. And another thing that you mentioned before is how much money do we really need? I think especially during COVID, we all realize that we can do with so much less, you know, so many things. I mean, as you say, COVID is a blessing in disguise. Of course, obviously, my heart goes out to all the people who lost loved ones because of it or but for many of us, it really should have taught taught us something. However, I wonder, do you think people will forget as fast as came? Do you think people have learned? (gasps) I am afraid that 80% of the people will go back to where we were. What really wonders me, and this is an excellent question you're raising, Elizabeth, uh, what really wonders me is how short-term thinking um, do we train our people? You know, like it's, it's, There is a tendency, and I think this is also like you said, what is better? Uh, Providing somebody else a better life, what does that actually mean? Um, For me, what I learned is giving people the skills, the confidence and the strength to deal with whatever comes up would be something I would strive for and not kind of, I want to have a cozy, comforting life, you know, nothing kind of bothering me because that's like saying I close my eyes and I just kind of go every single day the same way. And that means you have wasted a life, uh, a precious life where you could actually really grow and make impact. So have people learned? I think some did. Uh, there's still a learning process, but the curve, the learning curve itself is very small. And in comparison to those countries who are not so privileged as us, they certainly have a, a much higher uh, learning curve. Why? So I've been working in the in the Pacific as well. And these countries are usually very, and, and of course, in the African continent. And they are so much used to disaster, you know, disaster of any kind, whether it's a disease outbreaks, let's say Ebola, I've been working in Ebola countries. They know that this is just one issue, you know, out of many. So they have to be much more focused. They have much less resources. And they need to say, what is the intervention which with which I can actually reach the vast majority of the people? So there is not this kind of semantics uh, discussing this or there, or maybe we'll do it like three years here and two years here or whatever it is. So I do see we are living in a culture where there's a lot of discussion, but the discussion is not just, or being a leader is not just from nine to five. It is actually a lifestyle. And if you walk the talk, it means that it's not going to be easy. However, it's being authentic. And I do miss authenticity in the sense of we are all our unique personalities. If I want to copy you, you are already taken. You are you. 
but I'm free, right? Uh, this is me. So what I actually would really love to see is, and I think it really slowly, slowly starts, but still takes some more time, is that people are knowing they are enough. And when you grow yourself every single day to your better version, you don't have to compare yourself with somebody else. You just see how was I doing yesterday? And with that, you actually really make constant progress. Now that takes accountability, which means I need to be very upfront, very honest saying, look, this is what I did well yesterday. This is what didn't go so well. So let me try again today to make it happen better. And reviewing our values is something I think humanity and one by one we need to do because for me, the physical distance and the terminology social distancing, in my opinion, is really wrong. It's not about socially distancing, but it's it's having the physical distance and socially connecting even more. We have technology, you know, they, this is not an issue. But really caring for each other, knowing your neighbors, reaching out and saying, can I help you somehow without expecting something in return all the time? This is not about expectation. This is on how can we make this world a better place when we found it? And also how can we collectively raise our energy in order to decrease fear, anxiety, and all those negative feelings which cause so much mental uh, issues. And yesterday was uh, mental health day, as you know. So I've seen um, tremendous impact on mental health through COVID, but it has been there already before. So I think that's also something I would like to mention here. This is so beautiful. Everything you've said is so beautiful. And also the fact, you know, walking our talk, being authentic and also being vulnerable, showing that we are not perfect. Nobody is perfect. I, I, if you know one, you can send me a list of the names that you know, because I don't have one. There is nobody perfect in this world. And I think especially social media has, you know, all this pretense that people show that affects a lot of people. You and I are level-headed women. We don't get impressed by this rubbish, but some people do. And that makes them feel inadequate and that, that makes them feel um, insecure. And I think it is important to tell people that nobody is perfect. We all have our faults. We mess up. And uh, sometimes we mess, I mess up very well. And, uh, you know, and then you just pick up the pieces and start again. But I want to ask you something else because we know each other because of the Global Woman Club. Thank you, Mirella Sulla, for founding the Global Woman Club because otherwise I would have never come across this beautiful Erica. Have you ever not been taken seriously anywhere because you were a woman, because you're a woman? <laughs> That's a great question. Thank you so much, Yeah, Big thanks to Mirella for founding uh, Global Woman, absolutely. And also a big thanks again to all the women out there who are doing their job because they are, you know, they are believing in what they're doing. So, and including you, Elizabeth, I really congratulate you for being the great person and the mature person you are because you have done already so much in your life. Have I ever been? Yeah, certainly. Um, and I think that also kind of made me learn that I need to be heard. And in order to be heard and to be seen, I need to step outside my comfort zone. I need to be seen on the social media. For me, social media so far was like, 
okay, you know, wishing somebody a happy birthday. But Mirella and 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 Global Woman has shown me if you really want to reach out, if you really want to impact, if you really want to serve the at larger scale, you gotta reach out. People get to know that you are there, and then to uh, understand and and of course also get to learn about what you're here for. And that gives me the opportunity because I've been in crisis management for such a long time, like more than 17 years. I'm actually doing a free masterclass on the 16th of October for which I'm inviting people to join if they are serious and wanting to change something because it's basically three steps and it's about how to overcome resistance. It's about how to you how do you do an honest self-assessment? You know, it's, it's about being honest to oneself. And then also how to make an action plan and, and have an accountability body who is kind of checking on you and supporting you in tough times. I have that too. I have mentors like Mirella. And um, for me, it's critical. There's nothing, uh, first of all, you never feel alone. I hear so many stories from like-minded people and women particularly who tell me, before I felt like I'm alone, you know, I'm the only one who is not being seen, who is not being taken seriously. But then you hear how others have overcome that same issue. And it is about consistency. It's really about standing up and having your voice, using the microphone or whatever opportunity you have to really speak up and say, this is what I stand for. Even though how many times I remember my voice was shaking but I said, uh, this is not okay for me. Or I said, no. And I think that's also something for women particularly to learn to say no, you know, to say no when you feel like this is not right. And it takes courage. It takes guts. But at the end of the day, you kind of really stick to yourself and you speak your truth. Then I don't have to think whether this is right or not, uh, whether I need to make up a story. Right now, there's so much superficiality out there. There is no such kind of thing like overnight success. The people who have become successful have been working consistently over decades and decades and have done on a daily basis those small little steps to really move forward, you know? And I think we have now times where people really think, oh, I can get rich overnight. What's that, right? So having this kind of clarity, you know, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. Even with the news, we are overfilled and uh, flooded with news. Some of them are true. Some of them need to be take, need to be considered within a different context. So... And we usually don't spend the time to really verify whether something is true or not. It kind of appears in our brains and then it's gone again. But somewhere in the subconscious, it's stuck. And then we come up with a specific story, with a specific picture, whatever it is. But I think being more clear and more focused will also help to overcome the fears and anxieties and also the sense of hopelessness because we all carry power within us it just needs to be tapped into. 
Fantastic, fantastic. You mean you cannot become a millionaire overnight, Erica? I thought it was, I, I hear this all the time. I'm teasing you. That is so true. That is so true. And it, you know, when you hear these things about manifesting and, you know, I'm going to be rich and then you sit on the sofa and you wait until somebody comes and knocks on your door, that's not going to happen. It's work, it's grind, it's consistency, it's a lot. And we can all do it if we want to, but we need to do the work. We need to put in the work. And when you are having fun, it's not work. You know, then it's it's having fun, and uh, and sometimes it is, and I think everything we do has a part that is no fun, but it just has to be done. We also have to learn that. I always used to tell that to my kids when they were complaining about things at school. You know, I said, just part of it, just get over it, you know, <laughs> learn it. And then <laughs> because it not, life is not always fun and that's okay. So we're getting close. We've been, I could talk to you for hours, but I have one last combined question. What was your most memorable journey? Because that's the name of my podcast. And where does Erica Vicro go for fun? What do you do when you want to relax, when you want to forget all the diseases and the crises and everything? And what I usually do is I look in wherever I'm going, I'm walking around in nature because for me, nature is the place I go to, to recuperate, to recover, to really kind of free my mind and to also be creative because that's my nature. I, I like to create, I like to put things together, you know, reassemble whatever is needed. So nature, and then I look for my favorite tree. So every city, every single country, there is always a tree. And that one I see on a daily basis when I'm there and I hug the tree. I know this sounds kind of weird, but to me, the trees are really awesome in the sense of we look at ourselves. Our head and the crown, it's like the hair is, you know, the the crown of the tree, right? And our feet and the nervous system is actually what, what makes the tree being grounded with the soil. If we look at our palms, you have the unique, like the fingerprints, which is also the print of a tree. And if you look at the lungs, uh, when you kind of use the alveoles and you really would laid out on the field, you would really see the beautiful texture, which is similar to the cells of a tree. So we have much more in common than we think. And even the leaves, you know, with all their their, uh, drawings, it's like our veins, our arterials and veins. So for me, being close to a tree is like listening to how they talk. And and uh, you can see, you know, my sparkle in the eye when I talk about the trees. <laughs> so, yeah, I think nature for me is the most beautiful place. It's going to be what I'm so much connected to. Uh, do I have memorable journeys? Plenty. Um, every single place I go to, there's always something I take away with. And I'm so grateful. And I think this is what I really learned gratitude for every single minute, every single experience, whether it's something which I need to learn, meaning a teaching experience, or it's something I can contribute by being not only a student, a lifelong student, but also a teacher. And through that kind of passing on knowledge, you know, sharing, experiencing, uh, having discussions with others, how other people feel and see things uh, is something I want to continue until my last breath. And I will not stop learning until 
I close my eyes forever. So uh, yeah, nature, it's nature because I have learned so much from nature, the symbols, the drawings, um, the numbers, you know, number 369, the frequencies, when you listen to the tone, the music in nature, it's so harmonious. You know, there's nothing which is disturbing. And if there's disturbance, there will be the balance again. So it's really a flow and the seasonal flow where, for instance, the trees, again, as a good example, lose their leaves. And that's a natural thing. And if we look at our physical being, we lose cells every single day. And at the same time, we get new cells in, it in, in return, right? So it's a constant change. What is difficult to change, though, is the mindset. And I think this can be actively promoted and really pursued by doing it, you know, daily, small, small steps, having the right environment, really engaging with people who are uplifting, who are motivating, who are challenging in the sense of they really push you forward. Um, and I think in that way, we will actually really leave this beautiful planet better than we found it. But it's still quite a long way to go. <laughs> wow. I don't want to say anything anymore after all that, because that was very powerful. Yeah, I love nature. I, I'm with you there. And uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you for sharing. Thank you for being open and for taking the time because I know that you are a very busy woman. I appreciate you. I appreciate you being on my podcast. Thank you, Erica. Thank you for the invitation. It was really a pleasure and you're doing such great work. Thank you for that too. If you enjoy my podcast, please like, share and subscribe to my channel. You will find all the information in the show notes.